Hey everybody, welcome to Monday. It is July 31st. I'm Josh Boykin, founder of Intelligame.us. Welcome to another edition of Intelligame Radio. It's nearly August, and August will represent a little bit of an administrative reset for Intelligame. I've been working on trying to come up with more efficient ways to track the work I'm doing over a day and over the course of the week and every month. Setting goals and trying to accomplish those goals in terms of whatever metrics I feel are important. I keep wishing that I had a celestial compass like in Yonder, where <laughs> or a quest log in any other role-playing game where I could just open up a notebook and I'd have a list of all the things that I need to do and what the next logical step is and then I would be guaranteed X reward for completing Y task. I think it's part of the reason why playing games like these are, are so gratifying. We know that every time we put in X effort, we will get back Y reward go through and grind a few monsters in a dungeon, you'll get experience. Eventually you'll level up, eventually you'll get a new ability, or you'll get access to cool new weapons or armor. Go complete this quest, deliver the bread recipe over to the baker, and now you'll get free bread. You know, it's nice to have those direct returns. Life doesn't always give us that though. We don't have an experience bar that will tell us how many times we have to go out running before we'll suddenly be able to beat that plateau. How many times we'll have to retype that rough draft until we get something that feels successful. And particularly we don't get a marker as to how many tweets or Facebook posts or Instagram photos we have to post before we get quote-unquote popular or successful. We really don't even have a way to measure what popularity is or what success is. But I think that in all of this, the goal is to keep pushing forward, right? That regardless of where somebody else would see us, in terms of success or failure, that we're setting our own benchmarks and that we are working towards achieving those. Personally, I've found a lot of success in skipping many of the digital tools that I'd put together and instead just using a notebook, a paper and pen, and writing down these are the things that I'm going to accomplish by the end of the month and these are the things I'm going to accomplish by the end of the week, and then tracking the work that I do daily. It's not a complex system, but it does give me an opportunity to have a better understanding that I am doing work and that we're getting somewhere. So maybe that's kind of my quest log. I just have to make it myself. So anyway, let's talk about games. I've spent a lot of time here at Intelligame Radio talking about T 
team-based gameplay. It's some of my favorite gameplay. What I haven't talked a lot about are some of the leadership styles or strategies that seem to emerge from team-based uh, team gameplay. I was listening to a podcast without light, and Mikkel, while describing the aspects of a Destiny Fire team, the three-person team that goes through missions together, ended up talking about some of the perhaps guiding principles or teamwork tropes that go into a, co a composition of a three-person team. So I wanted to go ahead and echo that segment because I think it sets up some really great discussion. Mikkel goes into greater detail about team dynamics, particularly as they relate to his experience in Destiny over at a podcast without light. So if you are interested in hearing more, I recommend you jump over there and listen to episode 13, which is currently in the archives. Team dynamics in gaming are critical, just like they are everywhere else in life. Whether you are working a job that features other people, or participating in a physical sports team that involves other people, or you're in a book club or members of a faith community. We all find ways to interact with each other, and by fulfilling a role, we can not only make ourselves more efficient, but also assist the people around us. I think it's interesting that, particularly in role-playing games, we now have this movement towards very specific archetypes. In the same way that Mikkel refers to the id, the ego, and the superego, we have the tank, the healer, the DPS, or damage per second. Very specific roles that we expect our team members to fulfill. And when they fall apart on those obligations, the whole team kind of falls apart. The catch here is that you have to understand what your role is. Generally, in an MMO like Final Fantasy XIV, you know what your role is because your, your physical abilities restrict your capability to branch out. If you are a mage, you probably don't have enough defense to play a tank or enough HP. If you go to the front of the line, if you get hit, you will die. <laughs> in contrast, if you're playing a physical, tanky, absorb damage character and you try to run to the back of the line to cast a bunch of spells, not only are you going to leave your team vulnerable to attack, but you probably aren't going to be the most effective back row magic dealer. In games, our roles are explicit. In life, our roles are not always so much. But it does take conversation, communication, and a little bit of experimentation for us to understand not only what we are good at, but also what the folks around us need. I find that I tend to gravitate towards leadership roles. If I'm honest, I'm not great at being told what to do. <laughs> it is, it's a bit of a personality flaw. But I have found that as time has gone on and I've been in more leadership roles, I've seen how to tweak that leadership to be of more service to the other people around me. I think that for a good long while, I gravitated towards leadership because I wanted to make sure, quote unquote, the job would get done. And I think a part of me was also looking for the recognition that comes with being the top marquee or whatever. 
But now I find that bringing other people into the fold, giving them opportunities to take on that success and to highlight the things that they want to do, gives me a lot more fulfillment. And it makes a bigger, more successful team. And then the team has multiple accomplishments that they can be proud of. So I've tried to start working on connecting others to use my experience to not just be the lone quester going out and completing tasks, but assembling a guild of sorts so that we all can complete these tasks together and be more successful. I wonder if you have a particular team philosophy that guides you in your gaming or in your life outside of games. I'd love to hear about it. Go ahead and hit that call in button here on Anchor and maybe you'll hear yourself on air. I was listening to Medicine Remix the other day and they were talking about the neuroscience of freestyle rap. That there's a portion of the brain that we seem to access in freestyle that we don't access otherwise. And it might be part of why freestyle rap is so difficult. It's because it channels this sort of pure creativity that might need some massaging or some exercising to be able to truly work with. It reminded me of a game that Intelligame reader Lauren Bullock told me about maybe about a month, a month and a half ago. It's called Verse, V-E-R-S, and it's a party game that allows folks to experience freestyle rap. Each player has a hand of cards, and on those cards are topics. Nouns generally, like pineapple or something like that. In the center of the table, there's a deck of cards, and each of those cards has three rhyming words on it. The active player flips over the card, and then combines the three rhyming words, like hate, great, appreciate, with a topic from their hand. And players go around using these words and their own topics to create rhymes. And whoever creates the strongest one wins. Games give us an opportunity to experience things that we wouldn't have gotten the chance to otherwise. One of the reasons I was really excited about Verse, and still am, is because it particularly highlights aspects of black culture that we don't generally get to see in games or gaming. So to have a, a game that makes something that feels so inaccessible, when you watch freestyle rappers and you see how amazing they are, uh, it, it feels kind of impossible. So to have a game that helps you to that process, already I'm excited by. But additionally, it makes me think about the ways that games can introduce us to skills that we would have never thought we had, or the ways that we can progress and see noticed changes because of the practice and the kind of stair step that games can provide. When I first started playing Dance Dance Revolution years and years ago, I can still remember the first time that I went to the local mall arcade and saw two people playing, I can't remember the song, but I know they were playing it on Heavy, which is one of the game's hardest difficulties. I remember watching the arrows seemingly fly from, the, uh, from one end of the screen to the other, and I was like, there's no way in the world I'll ever be able to read that. There's, I, I cannot understand how anybody ever does that. 
and over the course of playing the game for months, and eventually years, I'm still not amazing, but reading heavy level step patterns is not hard for me anymore. In fact, playing on sort of the standard difficulty for most songs feels kind of slow or boring. In the same way, I've been playing a lot of Tetris lately, and as I see my scores increase, I realize that some of the difficulty levels that I thought used to be hard, getting up to level 7, 8, or 9, just feel kind of slow. And it's because I had the game's difficulty tweaked to what was appropriate for me. And I was able to step up that experience to the point where I was more controlled and more practiced and more experienced. I think Verse will be an awesome way for folks to gain that introductory experience in not just freestyle rap, but improvisation as a whole. And I'm hoping that this kind of game spreading to a number of different groups and cultures and particularly, or maybe youth organizations or to improvisational troops will give them an opportunity to start unlocking a little piece of their brain to be able to get into that improvisation and maybe come up with some new skills that they wouldn't have been able to otherwise. That's a great thing for games to do. Reesh over at Medicine Remix called in to talk about some of his excitement about Verse, which I'll share with you now. Josh, what's good, man? It's Reesh. Yo, I actually had not heard of this game, but if this is what I think it is, and I think it is, um, this sounds dope as fuck, man. And actually, um, I'm super excited. I can't speak for D necessarily because um, he he was more on the production side for, for sure. He used to be a hip-hop producer before um, he started this whole med school track. But me, in college, I really, really, really got into um, emceeing and then later on like DJing and things like that. But it was because my freshman year roommate was just an insane, true freestyle rapper and every night basically before we would go to sleep we'd basically just have a cypher i was horrible and he was insane but what's so cool about this game is it really does force you to freestyle instead of rapping written i think verse is going to be a pretty fantastic game and i'm glad that reesh is excited about it if you are intrigued by the game you can head over to spatchgames.com, S-P-A-T-C-H, games, and you can learn about it there. I'm not sure if there's a way to purchase or pre-order the game since the Kickstarter is already over, but there is access to a print-and-play copy of the game. So you can print the cards out and either stick them to old playing cards or put them in some protective sleeves so that they don't, you know, flap all around like pieces of paper do, and give the game a shot for yourself. Try it with your friends and... If you like it, I hope that you will take the time to pre-order or purchase the game and support the creator. In the meantime, let's continue forward. Perhaps you've bought a game before, say on Steam. You paid $30 for it, and then three days later, you saw that game show up on Humble Bundle and you saw it bundled with six other games for $15. Probably broke your heart a little bit. I know it's happened to me before. 
the idea of shopping around for prices, finding the best deal, is something that we're particularly used to now as gamers. We see prices of games drop sometimes within weeks or months of a game's original release. People who are exceptionally excited about the game will pay its launch price so that they have the ability to get in first. And then those who are not as excited about it may wait for a flash sale, a summer seasonal, a uh, Steam seasonal sale, things of that nature. When we don't have the ability to efficiently shop for prices, when we can't find out the information that's out there, we sometimes end up take, get, getting taken in for far more than we anticipated. This conversation is actually coming up as a result of a segment that I listened to on Medicine Remix. So for those of you who are listening on Anchor, I'm going to echo a segment about a website called GoodRx. And the reason that I'm echoing it is not directly a game thing, it's just that this information is really good information, and particularly if you're living here in the US, I think this is worth hearing about. So. We're going to talk, uh, we're going to go ahead and rebroadcast that GoodRx segment, and from there we're going to have a discussion about shopping the market and the benefits of, trans uh, benefits of transparency in the marketplace for the consumer. First off, kudos to Dee for being able to anchor at 6.30 in the morning. Uh, that's, that's an amazing feat. I bring this up for two reasons, the this segment about GoodRx and being able to shop around. One is because, particularly in an America where prescription drug coverage and health insurance seems to constantly be up for debate and on the chopping block, I think circulating that information is valuable. The second reason is because hearing that discussion about pricing and shopping around reminds me a lot of the game industry, and particularly retail sales of games. Recently, Twitch debuted its own marketplace, right? And on the Twitch marketplace, basically whenever a partnered streamer, or I, th I think maybe even an affiliated streamer, uh, whenever they stream a game that is being sold in the Twitch marketplace, <clears throat> a viewer can click the purchase button to purchase that game from Twitch as opposed to from Steam or any other retailer. And the streamer will get a portion of the proceeds of that sale. Twitch introduced this state, uh, this service as a way to incentivize people to use their online sales platform and also uh, marketed it as a way to help streamers become part of this revenue process. Now, the flip side of it is that anytime that I have seen a game on sale via that sales button, that game is multiple times, usually it's multiple times, the price of where I would see it on a Steam sale, or as part of a bundle, or any number of other things. The Steam Marketplace doesn't seem, or I'm sorry, the Twitch Marketplace doesn't seem as responsive to sales in the Marketplace, and so I don't know what their sales are like. But I haven't heard much, so I can't, I can't. I can't imagine that they're phenomenal. Having transparency in the marketplace benefits the consumer. 
We have entire Reddit threads dedicated to video game deals. We have Twitter uh, Twitter personalities like Cheap Ass Gamer who specifically just push information about games going on sale and how long they've been on sale or how how long they're going to go for. And this benefits us as consumers because not only do we then get to stretch our gaming dollars further, we can pick up games that we might not have gotten otherwise because they are under our what we thought would be their price point. And we also get to then give money to more game creators. They get to sell copies of games that they might not have ever sold. There are games that I've bought at $10 that I would have never bought at 30 or 50 or 60 And if that game has been out for a while, a sale at $10 is better than no sale at all. But there are inherent differences between medical sales and game sales. And again, I do think that that point is transparency. Transparency does not benefit the creator if they can sell that product at multiple times what they would sell um, in a transparent marketplace. And where with games, we can make the decision, nah, I'm, I, you know what, that's too expensive, I'm not going to buy it. With medication, we may not have that choice. And when somebody tells us this drug is $200 and either you buy it or you suffer this debilitating condition or you may die, well, we don't really necessarily feel like we have an opportunity to shop around. Why would somebody charge us $200 for something to save our life if they could be charging us less? And we just do not exist in a marketplace where that is a common thought or is a space where we have time to think about that. So though we enjoy flash sales and any number of, of discounting that can possibly prove a detriment to the creators of games because they so frequently have to discount a game not long after it releases, we as consumers get to reap that benefit. I do wonder what would happen if we had a more transparent medical marketplace here in America. But for now, I guess we just have to appreciate it in our games. Over the past few months, support for IntelliGame has really grown, and I want to thank you for that. IntelliGame Radio has been no small part of that growth. In fact, it's been one of the largest. It's been really fantastic to get all the feedback and the call-ins and to have really great discussions. There are other places where IntelliGame is active too, though. I think about Twitch, and we have pages on Facebook and Twitter. And we're also starting to get into YouTube. This is starting to pick up a lot of speed, and I know that can be hard to keep track of all those different spaces. Now, of course, those of you who have favorited IntelliGame Radio right here on Anchor get an update whenever there's a new segment, and I really appreciate that. And I want to make sure that it's easy for anybody to find out about the highlights of what we're doing for IntelliGame as a whole. So I have created a new newsletter. It's called the IntelliGame Recap, and it'll come into your inbox directly to give you information about sort of the broad spectrum of IntelliGame. You'll get 
maybe some print posts from editorials, a highlight clip from a Twitch video, or maybe some segments or an episode from right here on Intelligame Radio. I'm hoping that this is something that you're interested in. This has been some feedback we've received to make it easier to know where things are coming from. So I will put a link to sign up for the newsletter right here in the segment description. If you can't see the segment description right now because the phone's in your pocket or you're working at your computer, you can head over to tinyletter, T-I-N-Y-L-E-T-T-E-R dot com slash Let's Intelligame, just like all of our other pages. So if you go to tinyletter.com slash Let's Intelligame, you can sign up for the newsletter there and you'll get a weekly update of what Intelligame's up to. Also, just keep in mind, I don't like spam either, so I will make sure that when I'm sending you emails um, that they are worth your time. That if it's anything in addition to that once a week email, that it's for a shockingly good reason. So, Anyway, I am hoping that this does well for you. And as you get familiar with Intelligame, I'd love to hear more about what you'd like out of the station and out of Intelligame as a whole. This platform is really meant to be a community where folks can grow together and find out about games and have discussions about the world around them. So thanks a ton for your support. All right, folks, it's call-in time. First, we're going to hear from Michael, who's saying that the roles that he plays in role-playing games don't necessarily fit the roles that he has in real life. Hey, this is Michael Conway, the Illuman Arkin. I'd have to say when it comes to archetypes, I have to say I understood the uh, ego, superego, ego, superego bit. But uh, really, the archetypes I stand with when it comes to role-playing games don't fit the me of the real world. Because they, I want them to be a role I'm playing, that I'm playing. Like I play dwarves. I'm a six foot six man, large as a mountain. Guess what? It's not uh, dwarf is not in me. Viking maybe, but in real life, I, if I was born a couple hundred years ago, I'd probably be a knight errant, or uh, in other words, a paladin probably. But with that said, uh, peace out. Thanks for that call in, Michael. I think that there are a couple of ways that people look at game playing, and particularly role playing. I think there are some folks who use it as a way to experience something else as themselves. I think that's the way that I RP. I typically play characters that are really similar to the characters that I am in, in reality, and see how they fare in new situations. The Dark Knights, I play as Nightwing. But Nightwing is a black male who is kind of tech savvy and not that great with, uh, and, and tries to be kind of witty but isn't great. You know, it's that's that's what I enjoy in role playing. But I think that there are a lot of other people who use gaming as a sort of escapism or an opportunity to role play something different, and that I think gets to kind of what you were saying that you're playing this dwarf who you know is not six foot six by any means 
But I guess when I think about, you know, dwarven, sort of dwarven archetypes, if I'm thinking about, you know, Lord of the Rings dwarves, there are some parallels there between uh, the sort of stoicism and the rugged nature and the determined, determined, uh, determined nature <laughs> that goes between sort of the dwarves and what somebody might see as a Viking. So I think there are some parallels there, but I definitely understand the idea of looking to roleplay a new experience or to do a, to play something that is outside of what you commonly experience. Anyway, thanks a lot for that call in. Next, we've got a call in from Anchor Gaming, who is asking a question in relation to our E3 flashback episode that we aired a couple days ago. Hey, what's up, IntelliGame? This is Chase at Anchor Gaming. I'm walking home and I just listened to your Sunday segment and interesting to hear your experiences with E3 because I was there as well, but I wasn't press. I was just a regular attendee. And I want to hear your thoughts because I covered this on my Anchor a while ago, but what do you think they should do to make it a better experience for people? You know, like people paid hundreds of dollars for hotels, flights, and to me, I was lucky enough to just have parents that live in California, so I just commuted. But for people that spent, you know, 800 plus dollars to be there, it didn't seem worth it. So should it be like Gamescom where they have specific days for the public and then let the press and media have their days? What do you think? Because I really like having this conversation because E3 is trying to be a PAX, but it isn't really working. Hey Chase, thanks for that call in. I think you're asking a really interesting question about the future of E3, and I can say, even from a press perspective and an industry perspective, there were a number of unhappy campers over the course of this year's E3. Now, to rewind time a little bit and to refresh our memories, this is the first year that E3 offered public access passes. E3 is typically exclusive to members of the industry, so it's still kind of gaudy and it can be a little crowded but this feels more like packs now i believe 15,000 public tech uh, public access tickets were sold and this is great for a number of reasons i particularly talked on the station a little bit about the ways that this allows an increase in diversity and representation on the e3 show floor which I do believe will directly translate into an increase of diversity and representation in the gaming industry. Because now this is an opportunity for people to get that face-to-face -face contact and make those networking connections with members of the industry in a professional setting. And these don't have to be folks who are super established members of the press or come from whatever specific background. This can be anyone who is able to buy a ticket or get access to a ticket. Now the flip side of it though, is that from a logistics standpoint, it was kind of a nightmare. Walking around, particularly anywhere around Nintendo or some of the heavy hitters, was a nightmare. Getting from appointment to appointment was a hassle. And there were a number of industry professionals who I talked to that said that uh, one of the best decisions they could have made was to get space off-site. So if I had a meeting at a hotel, or for instance, Devolver Digital has their trailer across the street from E3, not having to deal with the traffic and some of the headache that comes from the show floor proper really made it easier for everybody to do their job. 
referencing Gamescom and having essentially a press exclusive day, I think that's the solution. I don't want them to roll back the policy and not allow the public in. I think that particularly considering there are so many folks out there who are content creators that aren't quote unquote official press, YouTubers, Twitch streamers, whatever media comes up in the future, people who are popular on Snapchat, these are folks who have followings and their followers want to see them attend these events, but they may not have the typical cr press credentials required to get in. So. I think that's great for the industry, even though it might make me shake in my boots a little bit as a journalist to see so many new up-and-comers. It's also exciting, though. But I think that providing a day or two of exclusive industry access so that people can make sure that they're getting the work they want to get done there done will be critical. It would have been great for me to be able to go around, make sure I'm snapping pictures, have space to have any conversations or interviews that I have, and then be able to just enjoy the space alongside all the other attendees. Plus, um, the lines that ended up building up over time made it a lot more difficult to be able to have an impromptu walk in and be like, oh, I didn't anticipate that I would enjoy that game or want to learn about that game, but now I want to check it out. Um, I think that just at the end of the show, everybody was a little frazzled, and I think it would be to everyone's benefit, not just uh, members of the industry or press, but like you said, those people who spent tons of money to stay in a hotel so that they could come to E3 and stand in line for six hours to play Wolfenstein. People are accustomed to doing that for packs, and so I, I understand that to a certain extent, some folks may not be phased uh, by that prospect. But I would love to see those logistics put together because otherwise, what ends up happening is the companies that show up for E3 decide either not to show up on the show floor, or they may decide not to show up at all. We've already seen a number of folks leave E3 entirely, Let's not forget EA started their own conference, EA Play. Uh, Nintendo, though they still show up at the show floor, they run their own pre-conference. The industry's shifting. E3's going to have to react, or they're going to leave other people to react, and they might not like those results. Anyway, thanks a lot for that call-in, Chase. So it's time for Game of the Day, and Game of the Day 21 is Fortnite. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, and I still feel pretty much the same, that the gameplay mechanically is compelling, but it does feel like a game that needs voice chat friends. But what I have found while playing the game is that it sometimes feels really sad. So in Fortnite, 90 some percent of the Earth's population has vanished in the blink of an eye. It's pretty safe to assume that they've become zombies, and you, as the commander, are controlling a squad of some of the last remaining non-zombie people on Earth. And so you're working to build these bases together, but in order to build the bases, you have to harvest resources. So in each procedurally generated level, which generally takes place in a town of some kind, or maybe a forest or something like that, you have to harvest resources by breaking down trees and cars and garage doors and all sorts of stuff. But 
when you're going through a number of these cities, a lot of them look like everybody just vanished from thin air. Like, there was no gradual process. So when you go into a grocery store, the shelves are still stocked. When you go into a house and you see the... You go in, there's the, the office, and the office is stacked. And there's bookshelves, and there's a desk, and there's a family room with a TV, and scattered mess on the floor. Just clothes or boxes. When you go upstairs, there might be a kid's room. The kid's room has bunk beds and a big stuffed animal. On one hand, like, yes, you're playing this really entertaining zombie shooter game and you're going through all these spaces specifically so that you can find all this loot, right? But then there are places where you're like, you go into a house and you go into a, their basement. And in the basement, there's a secret room behind like a bookcase. And back there, there's a stash of food and a sleeping bag. It's weird to have these moments of, of kind of thought-provoking clarity in the midst of this giant zombie epic, but it is interesting that even in a multiplayer shooter like Fortnite, if you're paying attention, you still get these feelings of loss and sadness in a fairly bright, colorful game. As you get closer to when the zombies approach, Storm clouds literally start to gather. The sky darkens, you hear thunder in the distance. The storms are the spaces where the zombies will spawn from. And so, regardless of what it is you're exploring, you know you have to go towards the storm so that you can find the base and defend the objective from the oncoming zombie hordes. Like Overwatch, I enjoy the meta story that could potentially be in Fortnite. I don't know how much they're going to invest in it, because obviously its bread and butter is the PvE multiplayer. But I would love to see some short films, particularly with Penny, who's my favorite character, and I could talk, I could extensively talk about, about Penny. But anyway, um, I would love to see shorts with these different people, not only fighting back against the zombie hordes, but also dealing with being the last vestiges of humanity and trying to find their family members or maybe not finding their family members. These are pieces of Fortnite that are really compelling to me and I'm, I will admit that I'm willing to give the game a bit more time to see if it gives me a return on that. Folks, that wraps it for Intelligame Radio today. I'm actually heading over to a Kickstarter closing party. If you remember, adventure cartoonist Lucy Bellwood was here on Intelligame Radio just a few weeks ago. Her Kickstarter is wrapping up, and it has massively successfully funded. It is, I believe, over $50,000. So congratulations to Lucy. It's fantastic work. And I hope that if you catch this, uh, you realize that you have just a couple more hours to get in on that Kickstarter campaign. I will post a link to the article uh, that we wrote up for Intelligame, and then you can follow that link to the Kickstarter campaign and back the 100 Demon Days project where uh, there's some really fantastic comic art about the demons that we battle every day in our pursuit of creativity and happiness. 
Anyway, per usual, if you are looking for more IntelliGame content, swing on over to IntelliGame.us. We are on Facebook and Twitter at, twi at Facebook or Twitter.com slash Let's IntelliGame. And don't forget that on Thursday, we will be streaming for Let's IntelliPlay over at Twitch.tv slash Let's IntelliGame. And... Of course, we have our new newsletter, so if you want to make sure that you're getting the highlights of what IntelliGame is offered over the course of the week, then you can go to tinyletter.com slash Let's IntelliGame. Till next time, folks, keep IntelliGaming.